you ever just have one of those days where everything feels wrong, your clothes feel wrong, breathing feels wrong, the air feels wrong when you move around in it? I'm having one of those days. It's basically like a sensory nightmare. And if you don't have those kind of days, you're really lucky. And I have like low-key envy for you. Anyway, this is episode two of On the Nose. I almost sound official there. Um, And I thought that I would just expand more on what I talked about last time. There were things that I was kind of like rushed over, um, such as some of my health stuff. Uh, I think like I basically need to build this foundation of information about myself before I'm going to be comfortable kind of like diving into other things. Um, I think I'm pretty sure I mentioned last time the imposter syndrome issues. Uh, It's been really hard for me to get started working on this, even though I think about it every day and have for over three years, um, because it's really hard for me to take up space. Even though I take up space all the time because I tend to be a little on the loud side, I talk a lot, very opinionated. And by very opinionated, I mean I'm just honest about my opinions uh, in a culture that thinks that because I have boobs, I shouldn't be. Um, And I take up space in those ways and uh, I'm treated accordingly. It's not great, you know? So, you know, taking up space is something that I learned at some point in my life that it's not something I should be doing, like as if I don't deserve what other people have or whatever. Um, I think there's a lot of us that feel that way. And I'm sure that if we were to unpack it, it's not just because I wasn't treated well socially. It's also, I think, just like built into our culture that if you have certain backgrounds, you're given different rules and it makes it uncomfortable to break those rules. Like if you grow up poor and stuff, you're not supposed to succeed. You know, if you're working class, you're supposed to keep producing and working. Uh, You're not supposed to break out of that. And I think there's probably a psychological element that helps keep us quote unquote in place. And I'm sure it's a very complicated can of worms, but uh, just, I'm tired of feeling shackled by this negativity that I didn't create, that's been given to me by others. Um, So like doing this is way outside my comfort zone, okay? But like, I'm gonna do it anyways. Putting pictures of myself on the internet. I do that every day. I post a single picture of myself And every single time I'm like, maybe I don't need to do that. And you know, I don't need to do that, but I'm choosing to do it primarily because it makes me uncomfortable and it shouldn't because I'm a human being and everybody else is a human being and we should all just be doing things. We should be living while we can. So anyway, rambly luxury there. So, um, yeah, like one of the perspectives that I gained through the health issues that took over my life starting in 2013 um, was to stop denying myself things because I did that a lot when I was younger. It was like 
I thought I was too fat or too ugly to take dance lessons. You know, and if you think, well, that's stupid, you've probably got some privilege there that you're not aware of um, because there are a lot of women that feel that way. And I'm sure that it's becoming increasingly more common for men to also feel that way. But it is very much built into our society that if a woman does not meet... uh, how did I make that noise? It kind of noise. Anyway, uh, if women do, do not meet certain criteria, they do not deserve pleasure, and that that includes sexual pleasure, but just pleasure in general, right? And pleasure is is a human right. Um, but society says if you're not a mother, if you're not a good mother, if you don't look a certain way, if you don't behave a certain way, if you don't do this, if you don't do that, whatever, women are undeserving of these basic human rights. Um, And it can be really hard to push to overcome that. And then you add in like other things, you know, like growing up poor, that's like a whole fucking bag of shit right there. And then uh, growing up with like health issues. Yeah, my health issues got really bad in 2013, but I've been in pain since I was at least eight years old. Like, I don't remember a time when my back didn't hurt or my legs didn't hurt. And I've always had like weird food things that when I was a kid, you know, I was called too picky. But when I got older, it ends up that a lot of the foods I was avoiding, I'm actually allergic to. Or if we want to be like, technical about it, I'm reactive to um, because I have mast cell issues, um, because there's a difference between mast cell stuff triggering um, because of uh, the mast cell activation syndrome versus having an allergy. Like when I get allergy tests, they all come back like negative. Um, But I do react to things because my mast cells are overactive. And if that's confusing to you, that's okay. It's confusing to me too. Sometimes I just call it allergies because it's it's easier, but um, basically I've probably had slightly overactive mast cell stuff most of my life just based on what I've learned since getting a diagnosis, but it got really, really bad in 2013. And um, that means that my body is reacting like I'm having a, an allergic reaction even when I don't have exposures. And the last couple of years, I've been working towards getting the mast cells stabilized so that I have less histamine impacting my system. That that includes moderating my activity because getting too overheated or too cold or too much exercise all at once can trigger it. Uh, stress, stress is a big one. Um, and also eating a low histamine diet, which is not affordable. And I also take mast cell stabilizers and all of these things have helped some. Um, I have pretty tight control of my living environment. I have very fancy air filters now because the house I live in currently has mold issues that are not being taken seriously. And I don't have the emotional energy to fight because one of the fun parts of having health issues is that you have to advocate for yourself all the time. And so, you know, like, as I mentioned, like, there's the baggage that comes with, like, growing up that way, you know, like, realizing at some point that the people around you 
aren't in pain like you are and having limitations, both like energy levels and physical limitations because of that, that the, the people around you don't have. And I did a pretty good job of like hiding it. I had a lot of shame. Um, I learned at an early age that if I had something wrong, like say a cold or a pimple or a cut, that I was disgusting. And so I learned to hide when something was wrong with me rather than like actively take care of it. Like I was in my 20s before I found out that if you need to vomit, that you can have like a garbage can or a bowl or something near the bed and you can be physically comfortable. I, I learned that you lay on the floor in the bathroom by the toilet. And I used to do that even at parties where people were peeing and stuff. It was awful, but I didn't know. I never learned about these other options. And all of these things like have a cost, um, you know, both socially, emotionally, energy-wise, whatever. And it created a dialogue inside of me that closed doors before I even had an opportunity to see the door. So, you know, there are a lot of doors that were closed for me just because of like um, circumstances and stuff. But then I closed so many doors on myself without even realizing that, that that's what I was doing. Um, and the way that I fit socially closes doors because I don't fit that well. I'm very much an acquired taste, which is why I think there will be like three people listening to this. And so it's really hard to get engagement or, or momentum on things. Um, and it's always kind of been that way. Um, everything is kind of a fight. And I guess like that can sound sad or lonely or whatever. And I guess at some level it is sometimes, but I'm also highly adaptive, very good at being on my own and very independent. I know, right? What? Okay. Um, and I, I love helping other people. I love sharing what I know. It doesn't matter if other people haven't like treated me as well. I don't care. Like if I leave the house, it's one of my goals is to make somebody smile or laugh, at least one person. So like if I go to the grocery store or whatever, I try to make the cashier smile or laugh. Um, even when I went in for my surgery last month, I like I made the nurses like totally crack up because they're like, do you want some warm blankets? And I'm like, that's why I come here for the warm blankets. You know, apparently that was very funny. So like if I can use this space to entertain uh, or help, inform, motivate, inspire, whatever any of it, right? Like, that's what I want to do. I, you know, I just want to do that. And I get the added benefit, you know, the, the value add for me, I guess, is that I get an outlet, I get to talk, I get to, I get to do that thing. And I get to challenge this comfort zone that has been so like, close up in my face for so long and like expand it. Like I can tell that the more I do this, the easier it's going to be to find the energy to do the research stuff. Um, I had 
over 50 tabs of different things saved that I wanted to talk about. And uh, during like a phone swap, I lost them. And I was so frustrated that I kind of lost my momentum for some of the research. Like I have a book where I have like stuff written down that I want to talk about. Um, and then I had, I had the links uh, to support that because one of the things that I would like to do when I share information um, that's not about me specifically, you know, like a science or medical or whatever is to provide um, reading material so that if you want, you can read up about it and see how you interpret it because, you know, it's all it's all interpretation. And my interpretation may be accurate based on like the science they're talking about, but you know, maybe not, I, I'm not always right. So um, yeah, but also like just to give, what's that word? Credence is not the word I'm looking for, but it might work. I <laughs> Words. So something that I'm probably going to mention a lot is that I'm tired. I am so tired. I'm tired in my bones. And I'm tired on all levels, all fronts, because I've been working so hard for so long, um, you know, fighting. Like, like medically, it's everything has been a fight. Uh, I have good doctors now, and I still occasionally have to fight. But it's like I reached this point of, like, tired in which everything adds to it. I cannot seem to regenerate because I can't get a break because it's like back to back. I mean, I've had two surgeries in the last, I don't know how many, hold on. Well, I've had two surgeries since last August, but technically I have had three procedures in the last year because I had a heart procedure at the beginning of last year. I had surgery during the summer on my feet and then I just had major surgery um, like five weeks ago, you know? So it's like, it's just constant. And, and if you look at the prior years, there's lots of other stuff that was going on as well. Like I get steroid injections for my pain issues and I just, I have to do like um, checkups with all of my regular uh, specialists on, a, you know, like every six months. Uh, so, you know, I've got five specialists plus my primary doctor, and then there's the day-to-day -day maintenance and management of my health stuff that takes up a fair amount of energy as well. Um, and I have to do those things or I feel worse. Plus, if I ever relapse and I haven't been doing those things, I'll feel like it's my fault I got sicker. So I feel this drive to do as much as I possibly can to support my health. Um, and, I, and I think it's paying off because if you look at... Um, how sick I was a couple of years ago. You know, I was on a liquid diet for about four years, had malnutrition, was underweight. Um, I was so fatigued that I often had to crawl. I couldn't drive. Uh, if I went to a store like, say, Target, was waiting to pick up my meds or whatever, I would end up laying down in the aisle, which was mortifying. But I literally could not stay upright. Um, and I get tired now, but it's not its not like that. On occasion, I will have a fatigue flare where I start shaking and it's really bad, but um, I've learned how to pace myself in a way where that just doesn't happen as much. So it only really happens when something's wrong, like after a procedure or my body's already taxed. Sometimes when the weather changes, it'll get me. 
like real bad, <laughs> which is rude. I used to love it when we would go from like one kind of weather to another and it, I always found it invigorating and now it's, it's awful. It's like painful and makes me super tired. I also find it interesting that science can't explain that phenomena to the extent that some doctors say it's not a thing and that people imagine it. And yet it's such a universal experience for people who have broken bones or have like autoimmune issues to be impacted that like there's obviously something there, be it pressure changes or whatever. It's something that we cannot yet measure. And so people go, well, it's not real because we can't measure it. You know, it's like uh, back in the day, people that had MS were put into asylums and stuff and treated like they were crazy. And it wasn't until the science was there and they found the lesions that it became a real thing instead of a crazy, mostly crazy lady thing. I'm not sure why our default is to be so negative when we haven't seen proof of things instead of being compassionate and believing people. Like even if we can't do anything, just the act of believing a person can be incredibly powerful, you know, and just acting from that place of compassion. Like it's not our job to know everything, but that person knows their body, they know their experience. So why do we have to tell them that they're wrong? Just stop. I mentioned last time that I have EDS and I said to Google it. Um, it's a connective tissue thing and there are different types and I don't know what kind I have. Um, I've had six doctors agree that I meet the criteria and likely have it. Um, and I've gotten my doctors to start treating me like I have a diagnosis, but they don't put it on my record. Uh, I got my genetics ran and they will not send me to a geneticist. They're like, well, there's nothing, there's nothing to be found there, which is absolutely untrue. Not all forms of EDS can be found through genetics at this point in time, but some can be, and there is other information that's useful. Um, and because I've been denied, I honestly haven't done a lot of reading on that because I'm like, well, I'll look into it when I finally push through this whatever wall that my doctors have put up for this particular thing. But I have had issues since I was a kid, um, like some of the textbook telltales of early signs of EDS is like leg pain in kids that they'll, they'll just label as growing pains except that it doesn't ever go away. Um, and I definitely had that, um, a lot of back pain. I remember the first time my neck went out was like sixth grade um, and my back started going out as a teenager. My back goes out when I sneeze. Um, my ribs started going out in my teens as well. That was really fun during my pregnancy because my ribs kept, the bottom ribs kept slipping up underneath the ribs above them. And um, at the time I had an amazing doctor, an osteopath, uh, which is a DO. Like if you see a doctor, instead of an MD, it would say DO. Um, and she would adjust that stuff for me. But, um, and she was like, well, you have loose ligaments. Don't really know why. Uh, and she, she like, she helped my pain a lot for a couple of years. But the diagnosis, the condition of EDS, I didn't learn about that until after I got sick because 
I had uh, gastroparesis when I first got sick, which is slow motility, slow digestion. Um, and that can happen when you have EDS. So like, as I was researching gastroparesis, I started learning about this other thing. And I was like, wow, that sounds a lot like me. Um, and it, it could have explained a lot of the symptoms I had when I first got sick, except for the neurological stuff. Um, and so I kept having to be like, well, what is this? What are these symptoms? And basically got told that it was in my head by a lot of doctors. Uh, my primary doctor now, she's my fifth doctor. I fired the other four. The first one I fired because I had lost 30 pounds in eight weeks. And I told her that I was worried about malnutrition because I was literally not eating. And she was like, I'm not concerned you have padding. And I was just like, what the fuck? And just fired her because she wasn't helping me with my symptoms. And I, I had gone to the ER multiple times because they were that severe. And going to the ER is probably one of the hardest things I've ever done because deciding to go when I've spent my whole life ignoring my, my physical issues. It was just, I felt like I was being dramatic and all this stuff. And of course I went to the ER and they went, oh, you're just having an anxiety attack and ignored me and sent me home. Um, and I was not having anxiety. I even got a therapist who I talked to twice a week to have on record that I did not have an anxiety disorder to prove the doctors wrong. And the GI that I saw, like I, he was like, you just need to eat more fiber. I'm like, I cannot eat solid foods. And the more fiber there is, the worse my symptoms are. And I started crying and he wrote down anxiety in big letters on my record. Um, so I fired him. The second GI was very passive and he just ran the tests that I wanted. And the tests came back with stuff. They showed that I had the gastroparesis and, and stuff like that. Um, and I was, I got like bile in my stomach and there was a couple other things, but he didn't offer any help. Um, was just kind of like, well, follow a gastroparesis diet, which didn't really help because I was like reacting to the food. Um, yeah, so I went through I went through a lot of doctors. I'm on my fourth GI, um, second neurologist, yeah, third therapist. Because my first therapist, she betrayed me, um, and just yeah, it's just been it's been a lot. And since I'm at Stanford now, it's a lot better. Um, I'm probably going to get a new primary here pretty soon, not because I don't like her. I mean, she's a little bit like resistant on certain things, but because um, I moved and she's not in a location that's convenient to me. She also refuses to work with my ADHD meds. Um, so I am hoping I'll find somebody that will feel differently about that. From my perspective, being sick, having health issues, being disabled, however you want to label it, is a full-time job. I know that there are people who have health issues that they just don't have to do that work or, you know, there's no way to really manage it, just live with that kind of thing. But um, I, I'm not like that. Even if they were like, no, this is stable and this is how it's always going to be, I would still be doing things 
to try to prevent secondary health issues and stuff like, you know, like going for walks and basically just doing as much as I'm physically able to do um, in the hopes that eventually I'll be able to do more. There's like a beeping outside, like um, probably somebody's alarm because there's a boom, boom car driving around going boom, 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 boom. And um, it just makes me want to go outside and be that old person that's just like, hey, turn it down. It's just, it's really annoying. I can't think. So I've been talking pretty openly about my health stuff and I plan to keep doing that. I honestly don't talk about it a lot. Um, not because like I'm ashamed. I'm actually pretty proud of how well I've managed things, um, but because I don't like the way that other people react to it. Um, it's on par with talking about growing up uh, without access to things that other people find normal. Um, you know, like say you grow up poor or whatever, you're not gonna have access to the same toys or same kinds of food. And people, when they are faced with a perspective that's different than their own, they get uncomfortable and then they respond accordingly. Like, like, oh, I'm so sorry. And bitch, don't do that. Just don't, okay? Like, it doesn't feel good. It's not accepting. Um, you know, just hear the person. Take that information in. If you have questions, ask them. Or if you're not sure about the person, ask them if you can ask questions about it and give them the option. But sympathy for somebody's reality is, is just, it's yucky, okay? I, I don't have nice words for it. It's a shitty thing to do. And I have been at so many tables for so many conversations in which I just stated my truth and it got real quiet and people got uncomfortable and then they felt sorry for me. And here's the thing, I don't feel sorry for me because my reality is my reality. And so what, I didn't have access to some jelly shoes. Oh, well, it's for me to decide what I'm sad about. So if I'm like, well, I missed out on this thing and you know, that's kind of a bummer for me. Okay, at that point you can like express sympathy or or empathy or whatever you're comfortable expressing. But if I just like straight up like, nah, uh, -uh I, I didn't have access to that, I don't know. You know, oh, I'm sorry, don't, no, don't do that. You're not sorry, you're uncomfortable and you're compensating by saying this weird social script that's mean. And it's the same for health issues. Um, you know, people that are disabled and, and live with these health issues, it's a day-to-day -day reality. And most of us, we still feel like people most of the time. I've met people who don't, they're not at the point yet, or they're so run down that they don't feel like people. But most people, they still feel like people. They still got their senses of humor and they still have their daydreams. They're learning to rearrange things to figure out what they can and can't do within their new limitations. But like the sympathy and the discomfort, it's, it's not accepting, it's not supportive. If you're not sure what to say, say, I'm not sure what to say. You know, say, I feel uncomfortable right now and I wanna be supportive. 
what can I do? What can I say? And if if you gotten to the point that you know someone well enough that you're not doing the active like sympathy thing, um, and I'm pretty sure the sympathy thing is why I've been so very isolated and alone since I got sick is because people get uncomfortable and they don't they don't know what to do. And um, yeah, let's just say that I remember all of you. If you want to be supportive with someone that's got physical limitations of some kind, um, shit, just somebody that's got like some stressful stuff going in their life, just ask them what you can do to accommodate them. You know, is there a particular type of chair that you happen to have in your house that maybe they can call dibs on that would be more comfortable for their hips or their back? Um, you know, would it be more comfortable to meet in their house versus your house? Would it be more comfortable to meet at a park instead of a cafe? Uh, you know, like just little, little things. Those little things can go like a long way. You know, like you don't have to get it. You don't have to live it to be considerate, compassionate. And you don't have to dehumanize people for any, anything, really. You don't, you know, it doesn't even like, because old people like get de dehumanized as well. Like as if the numbers matter, as if people stop having daydreams and humor and interests because they're, I don't know, whatever age, you know, like over 60s, apparently when people become invisible and start getting baby talked and stuff like that. And um, we don't, we don't need to do that, you know, and I, I really hope that that's something that will shift, but I have a feeling not because, yeah, but I do love, I do love, like, I'm totally on a tangent here. I do love of social media that we get to see people of all ages, all walks of life from all over the world, at least in my feed, my TikTok feed is very international and diverse, um, just doing whatever makes them happy, whatever gives them joy, whatever gives them dopamine, uh, whatever inspires them, you know, we get to see that. And I think that that's great. And I, I love like seeing these, these posts with these people like making rap music or uh, dressing up all like super saucy and they're like in their seventies or eighties or whatever. Like, I'm just like, fuck yeah, dude. Uh, Cause I'm going to be there. I, I feel like I missed out going back to my point way, 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 way earlier. I feel like I missed out on a li lot of living and I'm not going to let the fact that I'm getting older stop me from making up for that. So, you know, if people be like, oh, well, it's so inappropriate. You're that age and you're dressing that way. I'll be like, eh, whatever. A lot of that is self-hatred anyway, right? Like, when a young person sees like an older couple kissing and they're like, that's so gross. All they're doing is limiting themselves. They're telling themselves that they cannot be sexual, lovable, romantic, whatever the basis for the kiss was um, when they get older, that they're only relevant when they're young. And it's, I think that's sad. I think that like, like, it's just sad. I think it's sad we do that to ourselves. I think it's sad we do it to each other and we should just fucking just celebrate being until we're not.
and then our friends and family can celebrate us when we're not around anymore for, you know, a week. I don't know. I don't know how that works. People always seem to move on from death and I just don't, those people are still there for me. Like, you know, like my stepmom died 2015, I think 2016, I don't remember exactly what year. Um, and she's still there. Like when something happens and it would be something that she would have joined in on, um, I always think about that. I'm always just like, she should be here, you know? And I don't think that ever changes. I, I've read that like the perception of time um, in ADHD people can impact the way that we mourn and the way that we experience loss where uh, we don't experience loss as acutely in the moment that it happens, but over time we just keep experiencing it over and over again because we keep realizing that person's not there over and over again. Um, and I don't, that sounds like a human experience to me, but I don't really know because that's my experience. So my experience is not, you know, you guys can, you guys can tell me, I'd love to get some feedback on what grief is like for, for you guys. Well, I think it's going to wrap it up. I'm going to try to keep these at about, at about 30 ish minutes. Um, and I was just full storm, full steam ahead, full storm, full, full, full of it. I was just full of it today. Okay. Um, so yeah, I, there, yeah, that's it. I'm going by. Oh yeah. Before I'm totally gone, gone, gone. Uh, I just wanted to give a shout out to my patrons on patreon.com. Like I literally would not be here, could not be doing this, could not be doing the things that I've been doing every day for the last year if it wasn't for your support. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you.